Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have A Quiet Place Part 2, starring Emily Blunt, Cillian Murphy, Millicent Simmons, and Noah Jupe, written and directed by John Krasinski. Hey, Matt, it's the film that we were supposed to do way back when. It's finally happening. All things are sick. Like, here we are, back where we just be, <laughs> were supposed to be some year and a half ago. Didn't Thanos say that in Endgame? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, first and foremost, I want to welcome you back to... Uh, being in person with me, uh, you were brought back by Joe Beth Williams on a slimy rope from the other side. So well, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, I'll be it's good honest, to be back. I'll be honest with you. It was a little weird uh, being in here by myself. Uh, cutting the, I would look over here and there was no one sitting there. So it was just it was, it was a little strange, but uh, this is good. This is this will be good to continue on here. Return to normal. So exactly. Here's to that. Cheers. And a little bit early for us here, so we're foregoing whiskey this morning mm-hmm. in lieu of uh, uh, just some black coffee. Yeah. <laughs> There's a limit to where we can stretch our alcohol consumption, and it is not usually at 8 o'clock in the morning. Exactly. It's a little too early, but <laughs> Matt, I'm excited. I'm just, let's not beat around the bush. Let's just go ahead and get started with our flight question. Alrighty, so here we go. Quiet Place Part 2, one of the first big releases now that most movie theaters are, I'm pretty sure they're, they're mostly open here stateside and worldwide. I think it's, you know, pretty sporadic at, at, at the moment, but it feels like we're finally back and things are, you know, there's no more delaying these releases unless they, unless we go back to the old ways of delaying films because they're not good <laughs> and we have to go into reshoots, but uh, Quiet Place Part 2 is actually the first film since the pandemic to cross $100 million domestically. So even from a monetary, I, it feels like we're we're getting back. We're starting to churn out those, those money tickets again, or movie tickets again, mm-hmm. and kind of get back to it. So my flight question to you is, you know, we have the rest of June, July, and into August. HBO Max is going to have some stuff in concurrent with coming out in the theater Fast and the Furious 9, Black Widow, Jungle Cruise, The Suicide Squad, Mr. M. Night Shyamalan's got a little film coming out in there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my question to you, with all of those, what's going to be the biggest hit of the, of the summer? Jungle Cruise. Okay. Here's why I'm going to say that. Okay. I think over the last 16 months or so, mm-hmm. we have had a reclaiming of the importance of family. And because the selections for social outlets have been rather limited, Mm -hmm. I think people have reestablished what might've been uh, some maybe lazy or sloppy family ties. Mm -hmm. Take that concept with the marketing machine of Disney and the rock Mm -hmm. and a smack dab in the middle of summer release once everybody's had a chance to get over their fear of what going to the theater will look or feel or be like. Yeah. And this is a film that from five years old to 45 years old is super four quadrant tentpole, mm-hmm. equally palatable, highly marketed, 
on a concept that is not only driven by Disney, but a ride that most people are familiar with at Disney. And I don't even think it's going to be close. Really? I think it's going to be this by a Ooh, mile. Should we put, should we put some, uh, should we put a bottle on this? We can't. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Okay. Why not? Okay. We'll re we'll reassess this. Uh, maybe probably in like mid September. think we'll have a good idea. There's one little sticking point. Okay. Not to the bet, but to my not even going to be close, mm-hmm. which would mean that maybe it's closer than I previously just stated. And mm-hmm. that's just me being out of practice because I'm just so intimidated sitting in the podcast <laughs> studio with you today instead of doing it from the phone in Florida. <laughs> There's another release that weekend too. The Green Knight with Dev Patel, like oh. King Arthur. Uh, I, I, I know. Yeah. I know, but. That's a quiet A24 film. Yeah. In terms of. Helping your argument out, I don't think you have anything to worry about. That's a movie that's been delayed pre-COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So I we'll see. Yeah. We'll Isn't see. that a Lancelot movie? It is. Is it? It's Sir Gawain in the Green Knight with Lance. So that's the other story that's not I quite as popular as Excalibur. I do like that story. So. I do too. Okay, so I, I might have to check that out, but I don't think it'll detract from the box office of Jungle Cruise. Well cast too, Emily Blunt as well, the uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I don't think he's going by the Rock, but I just know him as the Rock mm-hmm. from all those wrestling days. Sure. Um, I'm surprised that's a movie that didn't come out in the early to mid 2000s after the success of Pirates of the Caribbean. I yeah. mean, maybe Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy totally killed the ride to film adaptation, but this one seems like a long time coming too. You know, on a ride that I don't know if people would put that in the top five of Disney rides, but I can tell you this and let me give you a little insight. This is why I also made this decision. We just got back from Mm -hmm. for everybody. We just got back from Disney world. The lines for jungle cruise were pretty long. We're like, I've never seen. I mean, we're going back to the days when I went in the early eighties as a kid, Mm -hmm. we're talking like 65 to 85 minutes for a ride. Wow. That normally would have, a 25 to 35 minute marker. Now there's no fast pass and all this other stuff. So I'm not trying to market the amusement parks of Disney on the show this morning, but it is really, really popular all of the sudden to, to, to conceptualize this or put this into context. Yeah. The two films you just mentioned, jungle cruise and haunted mansion, Yeah. haunted mansion at the same time was running 25 minutes. That normally is significantly longer. Than and usually seasonal too, you know, like sure. more Halloween ish. And even Christmas, too. And in my opinion, a way better ride. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't even really like the Jungle Cruise ride. It's Nor kinda, do I. It's kind of just like a sit and watch. And I heard they were updating it, too. Now, are they are they maybe updating it to include stuff from this movie? Because that's interesting, too. Good question. We did not write it because I wasn't going to go 85 I, minutes. I probably wouldn't either. <laughs> that's uh, at the end of the night, and it's 20 maybe. Yeah. Um, not in the middle of the hot day waiting 85 minutes for... And the same canned jokes that we've heard for 35 years. The dark, the backside of water. <laughs> there you go. We get to see, exactly. We get to see the. You got it exactly. Oh, okay, excellent. I'm excited to see that one. Actually, I, I, I hope that one delivers. We're going to cover it. Um, we'll see. We'll see. We, we might have to do an end of summer recap cask. I think we we probably have some plans for for those months, but. So yeah. my horse is in the stable for this race on the bet. Let's see what you got. Well, I'm throwing Disney also into the conversation yeah. and. Yeah. For for whatever, you know, we're talking pretty heavily on the Patreon right now with Loki. I have my, without a doubt, 
biggest film of the summer. And it almost seems like after Endgame, we were getting super fatigued on these superhero films. And if you weren't fatigued, you better get ready for the rest of the year because you have four Marvel films coming out by the end of this calendar year. B-list properties too. Yeah. So, but I think they're they're going to show their power uh, and people are going to, I think, come out on droves. I think Black Widow is going to be a gigantic hit Yeah, with a character that I think people really liked that, you know, people were sad to see go in the, mm-hmm. in the last film. And I think maybe the pandemic helped Marvel out by giving them a whole year off without any properties, no TV shows, no films. So they kind of got to lay low. Yeah. And this is the first one, you know, the one, you know, the TV shows have been of varying quality thus far. And, uh, I just think, you know, people are ready to see the film version of what this looks like. And everyone's been waiting for a solo movie for, w- with her, I think, for a pretty long time. Uh, I'm excited to see that one, too. I mean, I like the Taskmaster as a villain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's interesting is they haven't said who's playing that character. Mm-hmm. He's not listed in the You're cast right. credits. Like, they had a posters of all the characters, and it was like Scarlett Johansson, David Harbour. And then Taskmaster, no actor tied to him. So there might be some interesting reveal. Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, my God. Someone, someone, someone big in there. Uh, I no. think I think that movie is going to be pretty huge uh, and will kind of be, you know, the official kind of like return to like theater normalcy. I think that one's going to maybe give us a pretty big opening weekend for that one. But like like I said, September's Shang-Chi November's the Eternals, and then December Christmas weekend, I believe, is Spider-Man No Way Home. So you're going to get your fill in the second half of this year of Marvel stuff. I'm going to ask you a question about the Black Widow. Mm-hmm. So this is a prequel. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it has to be. Mm-hmm. So if we have hopes that this is going to lead to some indication as to what phase four through eight mm-hmm. are going to be built around and their big bad, yeah, what are the chances that we really get much on that. Zero percent. That's kind of what I think, too. Yeah, I think this is like... And I hope I hope we're right. I hope so, too. Because I don't know what from the Black Widow pantheon is going to present us the greater, greater threat. You know what I mean? Like, I honestly don't... I, my predictions, my geek predictions are... I don't think we're going to get that until... Doctor Strange. Either that, Black Panther 2... Uh, some something larger down Guardians three maybe. Um, some big news this. Well, the reason I'm going to this is there was some rather interesting news that got released this week about Craven, mm-hmm. and we are fully hyping up the Sinister Six machine. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've cast Craven, but there's already some. Oh yeah, he's cast pre production. Who is it? It's uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Okay, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. That's happening. I think it's happening sooner than that film's coming out, though. Yeah. I, think, I think it's happening in this Spider-Man movie that's super tight-lipped. What I wonder, though, is mm-hmm. with the sharing of properties and who exactly owns... Because although Venom and Carnage yeah. are Marvel, Marvel proper, they're not totally Marvel it's proper. It's still Sony's right. vice grip, yeah. And the same thing with the, with the Craven story, too. So we have those concepts... Mm-hmm. And add, I know you're going to groan when I say this, add Morbius to that. Yeah. (laughs) We've talked a little bit about the trouble with many different Jokers existing in the DC universe (laughs) right now. We might be getting a little bit of trouble with too many Sinister Six irons in the fire to try Because that in and itself would be a really good big bad. Yeah. 
in a movie. Those six. In a movie, yeah. He should be just be the bad guy in this one. And we've kind of asked for a street-level villain, and that tends to lean more on that than Galactic. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think... It's not happening in Black Widow, and I would vote for something more cosmic, like Guardians. Maybe even Thor, too. So, okay, I said Jungle Cruise, you said Black Widow. Any consideration to F9? Maybe. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's an insanely... Po- it's not for me. No. <laughs> Nor me. Uh... But people love it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Nine, nine would speak to the 10 if you include Hobbs and Shaw. Do you want to hear the craziest bit of news I heard this week? Yeah. So we kind of talked back and forth about Craven and that whole thing. And I want to talk a little bit about that in this movie, in this uh, review too. That the Universal wants to cross over Fast and the Furious and the Jurassic World franchises. And I'm like, oh my God, like, please stop. You know what else I heard about that too? Is they're going to have a tie to the dark world as well. Oh goodness. That's a joke. <laughs> But even so, you know, you know how preposterous is that? Really out there. I, th- I think the joke uh, I read a meme, it says, you know what's going to stop these dinosaurs? Family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that just has like trash written all over it. But it, insanely popular uh, film franchise. They, they, the last few entries have all grossed over a billion dollars worldwide. Yeah. So um, the only other one I'd maybe throw into consideration there too would be, oh, what was it? Maybe the Suicide Squad at, at in uh, in August, maybe, but I don't know. Probably probably not. When did Dune get moved to? And when is Bond? Bond's November, right? No, no, no. October's going to be busy for us because we're gonna we'll cover some spooky stuff. But we got Dune, Bond, and Halloween Kills in three subsequent weekends. It's not a musical in there we can cover. No, <laughs> it's bit. You know what I mean? So yeah, they're they're all staying put now. Like everything's kind of staying where, where it's at. No more moving dates around. So the things are going to start coming out, which is nice. It is nice. Yeah. One right. more quick thing before we kick off yeah. the show or the happy hour. Mm-hmm. I did see a musical this week mm-hmm. in the Heights. It's a really whimsical musical tale of nothing but regret. Yeah. Ugh. Well, and musicals are ugh. hard for you already. <sighs> yeah, man. That was a lot of love on my family. I love my family. That's good. And that was it. <laughs> Way to take one take one for the family. Amen. So cheers to you. Great choice. We'll come back in September. We'll see where the numbers stand and someone someone's getting a bottle. <laughs> what bottle? Let, let's put a, what's the bottle stakes? Uh, what do you want to do? Bib and Tucker? Okay, let's do a Bib and Tucker. Bottle of Bib and Tucker. All righty. Excellent. Sweet. Well, let's jump right into this thing in our review breakdown of Quiet Place Part 2. And because this is such a new film, the sound was a bit sparse this week, so we're getting right into it, Matt. Uh, let's just start right at the beginning. Uh, Quiet Place Part 2 starts out day one of, I almost said pandemic. The event. Uh, alien pandemic, alien arrival. <laughs> yeah. uh, I really kind of liked this opening, and it was almost something that I didn't really need a whole movie about. You know, like when you look at like the Purge franchise and all these other franchises that have the need to go tell the origin of the evil alien Prometheus Covenant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to take a whole movie to explain how everything started out, Krasinski and crew decide to just take 10, 12, 15 minutes of the opening here to just kind of lay the groundwork from their perspective of how it happens. And I really like this. I don't know if you've had a chance to play uh, The Last of Us video games, but it, it actually plays out fairly similar to this this opening sequence. And I just like how normal things start out. I mean, he's... He's dad, you know, getting the orange slices for the for the baseball game. All everyone's there cheering him on, and then just everything just goes so south. 
uh, so quickly. And I, I love I love the reactions by everyone. They're just everyone's just so perplexed, but they don't take time to like explain. Like everyone's not like gonna go like what what's going on here. You just kind of get right into the middle of it, into the thick of things. And I did appreciate that uh, that that approach to introducing the antagonist of this franchise. On a scale of one to ten, mm-hmm. ten being superior, mm-hmm. one being below mm-hmm. average or below standards of reasonable expectations. Mm-hmm. How smart are these alien monsters that arrive from undescribed planet ear? Oh man, uh, maybe a six. <laughs> That's kind of what I think too. I feel like all aliens come in at about a six. You know, whether you're War of the Worlds and you're just yeah. bacteria is your enemy, or you're the aliens and signs and waters your enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, something similar happens in this one too later on. But I actually felt like it wasn't like a total deterrent. It was more of a weakness than a total defeat of the creation. Me too. But. I think five or six is fair. I mean, I feel like they're intelligent, but they're just, it's almost like they either crashed by mistake or crashed with intent, but I don't necessarily know if I get intent from these superior beings. Okay, I think I agree with everything you said there. Mm-hmm. I hope it's by mistake. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into too much about what the goals of this alien race are, because I think mostly they're just savage, and they hate sound, so yeah. they want to remove most, if not all of it, that they possibly can from... Natural predators that are bipedal or organic, not like water or lightning. But and, the, and they're not trying to like terraform Earth or like no. remake it into their home planet, which is also refreshing. Amen. <laughs> it must be a mistake because we're going to, and not to get too signsy on you. Yeah. Because this is an argument that I think has been levied against signs and fairly so. I really like that movie. I do too. Yeah. So. And this has some similar tones in some ways it, to it. It is similar to signs actually. Yep. If we're going to grant that they're not the smartest species that's ever shown up on planet Earth, then them making a mistake or crashing, because we do see a spark in the sky. There is a bit of looks like an explosion in the sky when they arrive. Almost like a comet or like yeah. some type of, yeah. So maybe they're on their way somewhere. But to land on a planet that is mostly water mm-hmm. when they are not good in water. Now, not destroy them the way they do the aliens and signs, but not being able to swim is a haha galactic mistake by this race. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, when they arrive, we do get a look into small town America. Yeah. And I think this works because what that creates is a hominess mm-hmm. that in the community prior to the alien's arrival gives it charm, mm-hmm. but into the community post-alien's arrival gives it a monumental struggle because there is not the structures in place that like a Chicago or an LA would have. Yeah, limited resources. You just took the words out of my mouth about what this film is, limited mm-hmm. resources, which is often the case with these mm-hmm. disaster, quote unquote, disaster type films. Yeah. Here's a struggle for me early on though. I'm going to ask you a question because... I'm not sure if my take on this is is accurate. Okay. How old is their oldest son? Oh, uh, Noah Jupe, <laughs> the actor. Freshman in high school? Um, Maybe eighth grade. So I'm... Like kind of around 11, 12, 13. Okay. Yeah. That's what I think too. Mm-hmm. 
if we open on dad's arrival mm-hmm. to the baseball field to find, um, yeah, what's his name? His name is Marcus. Yeah. At bat and terrified mm-hmm. as a freshman or an eighth grader and dad showing up with lemon wedges. I'm sorry, not lemon wedges. <laughs> I'm drinking a lot of iced tea, <laughs> lemonade, mm-hmm. orange wedges. Mm-hmm. We have, I think, one of the challenges that this series presents, and this was never going to be more than one film. Yeah. And so we have to de-age yeah. by experience a kid that if this is the first time he's batting and he's terrified and dad's bringing orange wedges, he needs to be eight, not 15. Yeah. It's not a deal breaker. What it almost sounds like, it almost sounds like he doesn't like sports. And what I kind of wish is if he was like kind of forced into this by his parents, you know what I mean? Okay, that's fine. Because that would be something interesting. Unfortunately, the film doesn't have time to explain any of this to us because they throw the conflict uh, right into the mix with, with all of that. But And a rather strange introduction with character and conflict. Like conflict isn't that dad's late. The conflict isn't that sister is this. The conflict isn't that mom is that. The conflict is this kid's scared. Mm-hmm. I guess we get a reckoning to that later and we'll talk about it. I know cause it's coming cause it's a big moment that ends up amounting to not much later in the film, but it's a strange opening for me. And I almost, again, mm-hmm. I don't think they thought they were ever going to make more than one. So I understand probably not. Yeah. You know, the, the, the boy that dies in a quiet place one yeah. is too young to be batting, mm-hmm. but this one's too old to still be eating orange slices and afraid of, you know, it's not the pitching machine. Oh my God, I might get hit. He's just too old for that. What it reminds me of, I, I did have a bit of a flashback watching this scene because even when, when I played sports, you know, around this age, a little younger too. Uh, is this pre or post shoulder injury? Uh, this is uh, pre, this is pre shoulder injury. Uh I would get a bit of like, I wouldn't say like performance anxiety, but like I would get like the nerves like to be good in front of my parents. And I would always be looking like at, at them in the stands. And it was, it was fairly, fairly nerve wracking. And I feel like I would psych myself out. And like when I would strike out or if I like got the basketball stolen for me, like I would dread kind of looking over there cause I didn't want to like meet their disapproval. And I kind of got a little bit of that there. I mean, there's such a hesitation from him and this kind of scare, scaredness to, to you know, swing the bat and, and, and take these pitches. Uh, but again, it's all undermined by the cosmic threat that's tracing the skies there. So I wonder if, you know, it's to establish, you know, that he is scared and a bit timid and then he has to have his moment later. But more so to just reestablish the family and get you familiar with them pre- the event again. This is day one, but uh, yeah, that was yeah, yeah. Uh, if you hadn't seen the first one, but knew about the first one, mm-hmm. it was a popular film, mm-hmm. sleepily popular. I don't think that was destined to be a blockbuster. Do you? Mm-mm. No, and it did really well. I think it was good word of mouth too. Sure. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't see the first one, this helped you get caught up. Sure. To where the second film begins. Mm-hmm. The problem is for me. It's not so much that the kid's batting and I don't buy the age and the way that he's going with that. The problem is it's really difficult to de-age a kid that from the time the first movie has been made has been four years. He's he's 
he's grown up, uh, so uh, that's yeah. tough to do. Yeah, that's a suspension of disbelief in doing a prequel scene when everyone's older. So that being said, the first uh, what is this? The first fifteen minutes, I this think prologue, it's fifteen minutes, twelve or fifteen minutes. It's fairly fairly lengthy. I'm going to say two things, and then I'll hand it back to you. Yeah. It's entertaining and watching the aliens arrive and figure out how they're going to do life going forward is pretty fun to watch in the car bit with Emily Blunt in the car on the bus driving backwards is all really well done. Mm-hmm. And watching these things just wipe people out left and right is all really good. Mm-hmm. I just don't know mm-hmm. if any of that is necessary. It's. I think it, it's partly not necessary because the film after this and we get the titles, we cut to instantly where we left off in the last film. I, I honestly feel like this whole series is des- designed to be that way where they could probably cut and splice these whole movies together for one big film because the way the last one ended was her cocking the shotgun and this one's them literally walking out of the basement. So yeah, well I thought right. that was pretty well done. Uh too, but I just kind of like I like this opening scene. You know, whether you needed the the prequel aspect or not, it just really shows you how ill equipped everyone is once these things show up. Because it's wait, this what are these aliens? And then like they don't even know that they 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 pry on sound. Like you know what I mean? So they're just really thrown thrown for a loop with these with these creations. What an interesting idea! Remind me the story mm-hmm. of was it. The Dark Knight, whichever Batman film that you saw in IMAX that did all three, all all three together. Oh yeah, what, tell me that it story the, again. It was the last one. It was Begins, and then they did Dark, Dark Knight, Knight, and then Dark Knight Rises at midnight. So this was probably a nine-hour day for you. Yeah. Okay. How was that overall? Um, Novelty aside, how was it? I loved it. Yeah. I mean, it was just I was just there all day. They had discounts on concessions, so. Uh, that that was really good, but like I feel like that series, like just and we've talked about doing that exact mm-hmm. thing on and doing the, is plays so well all three back to back. Like you really see kind of the arcs of the main characters go from three films. Yeah, um, and that that's different compared to this because there's some significant time gaps in between both of the all three entries. Whereas here they take the Halloween two approach and we're just getting right in into it. And I can appreciate that about sequels. I wish more sequels would actually do that. Just literally pick up right where we left off. The reason I'm bringing that up is something just occurred to me in the editing of this film. Okay. As I talked about the struggle to de-age the boy and give him some internal and external conflict with a kid that's four years older from the Mm -hmm. first film. Yeah. The introduction to John Krasinski in this prologue is also a similar mirrored effect. And what I mean here is the fact that John Krasinski dies in the first film mm-hmm. creates a necessity for there to be a father-like figure mm-hmm. in this family. Introducing Cillian Murphy's character at the baseball field and then later sort of championing the cause of this makeshift family that he kind of puts together and makes work for whatever way he makes work. Mm -hmm. Here's the way that I think this might have and should have possibly been released. Okay. Both of them together with this prologue leading into the first film. So just one big movie. And then the first film rolling right in. If you chose to do it that way, I mean, you don't have to, you have six hours, (laughs) but if you chose to do it that way, that Mm -hmm. would have played really. So you get prequel quotes, prequel Mm -hmm. prologue. 
Quiet Place One, because it's been three years or mm-hmm. maybe four years, yeah. how, however many years it's been. 2018? No. Because, I mean, you and I have been had this on hold for a year and a half, so it's been it. <laughs> I think it was 18, yeah. Uh, this, right, so it's three years away. Yep. Prologue, Quiet Place One, right into Quiet Place Two. I really hope that, you know, when they release this on Blu-ray, once, if they do it, th- I think they're going to do a third one. And then kind of wrap this whole thing up that they do the Godfather edit where they like re kind of arrange it and put it all like the Godfather part two. You know what I'm talking about? I think that'd be a cool viewing experience. I think it would too. I'd be down for that because it does feel like one big story kind of just told in chunks. I hadn't thought about that till you said we literally pick up exactly after the first film ends. You're right. We pick it up from the, the next exact movement. Yeah. You're right. Going out of the basement. So let's 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 pick, get out of the basement. Yeah, let's get, let's get out of the basement. <laughs> uh, we house is on fire. We can't stay here anymore. Got to find some place to go. And that's, I guess, a frustrating part of what this apocalypse looks like. In that limited resources, no power, or you know, power scarce, generators and whatnot. Mm-hmm. We've ruined all of that here at, at our farm. So we're just we got to find something else. Uh, and and to, to me, this was fairly. Uh, uh, troublesome just in a in a theoretical perspective of new new baby two kids we just husband was just murdered by these alien things like what we got to just pick up and go because if we stay here we're done too uh so emily blunt has to shoulder a lot on her plate uh to just see things through to to the next place and one thing that really struck i guess i didn't pay too much attention to this in the last entry but i was really my Tarantino came out of me. I was really paying attention to their feet in this film. And they're yeah. just raw caked. They're mm-hmm. and I I would hope the actors weren't actually like just barefoot the whole time that they had some like John McClane uh foot coverings on them. <laughs> but they looked pretty worn out. Uh so the, the, they've they've seen their their share of 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 days and and and, and trials. Cause can you imagine just like I, I can barely walk barefoot on gravel much less a foresty terrain with sticks. You know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that sounds terrible, but there's a scene coming up here when they get into this encampment, it's almost kind of like an abandoned train yard or schmilting plant. And this is Cillian Murphy's like booby trapped hideout. And they set off one of the traps and in their panic are running in this. And I actually thought this was a pretty good moment when, when the boy steps in the bear trap, I was actually, oh. I was fairly shocked. I mean, that's, that's a gruesome injury. Oh, <laughs> and you can't really yell because it'll alert the alien, uh, the monsters. And I thought the the the, 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 the actor was was really good in that moment too. Where he's, he's really trying to hide it in, but when you're that young in that much pain, you just need to let it out. And she's like, has her hand over mm-hmm. his mouth, and it was like, if you if you scream, we're we're all done. But I think, but then we finally get to see, you know, what I kind of thought this. Uh, prequel was really going to go into or prequel this sequel was going to go into detail about was I, I wanted to see and i think this was a success for me in this film now that you've discovered the trick or the technology to defeat the beast how are you going to use that and how are you going to take that going forward and we get to kind of see that here i mean the 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 girl i think her name's reagan they don't really say their names you know what i mean i just kind of treat them like there's boy girl mom so so to speak but she's kind of rigged up like a, a a Marshall guitar amp with with this with this uh, her cochlear implant to show the thing, and I think it was a cool scene that Cillian Murphy gets to see it from a distance and from his sniper rifle. He's like, "Wait, what the hell's going on?" Right, like they, they like they're able to kind of handle this. So 
you found this thing. Now you're going to find a way to weaponize it where you can really start to do damage to the numbers of this thing is really what I wanted to get out of this film. And I think we do get that by, by the end. So it's all just about getting to the next place at this part. But what, what do you, what do you kind of think of all that? I've gone back and forth on what the goals of the family are. Is it just to try to find a place to put some roots down and reestablish civilization? Is it just survive the day because you are so up against it? Uh, all of that plays out to some significance, but what makes this film work and what really has to work for me in these apocalyptic settings is a dwindling supply of resources. Mm-hmm. And by that, certainly the oxygen tank, the ability of your footsteps to be masked by the white sand that runs out, mm-hmm. all of that's part of it, but it's also the resources that are dwindling when it comes to humanity and just the natural social norms that we conduct ourselves with in a society that has these pre-established norms we adhere to. It's all broken down at this point. Right. And I, what do I do and continue? I do like that. We are only seeing it from this perspective. If the camera got wider and we're seeing it from like the worldwide ramifications of these sound creatures, I'm out. You know what I mean? Like it's too big. Right. And I think that's why I like this series so much is because it is it feels so intimate that it is it does feel signs like to me where it's this family's perspective of this otherworldly event. That's going to work for me really well right now. It's not going to work for me a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. But the Cillian Murphy character introduction already had me on the edge of my seat because two characters came to mind specifically. You're a fan of him though, right? I do. I like him a lot. I do too. I really like him a lot. Mm-hmm. The first is the John Goodman character in that Cloverfield mm-hmm. um, remake. What ten, the, 10 Cloverfield Lane. I think that's a really good film. Mm-hmm. And he is the villain in that that is terribly, terribly fucked up. Mm-hmm. The other one would be the cannibalistic society that's constantly introduced in Book of Eli. Now, I think that's kind of a stupid film. But I think that's Gary Oldman, too, it if is, I'm not mistaken. Yep. That part of the film addresses this issue which is we don't have much food and because we don't have much food we've gone this route that is almost incomprehensible for anyone that lives in a society with neighbors and and familial ties Mm -hmm. communal ties eating each other when we come to cillian murphy's cement factory booby-trapped hideout Mm -hmm. and they trip those glass bottles Two things happen. Number one, you know that they are up against someone who's fairly strategic. And number two, who is going to be able to use the environment against the forces that might be there to do him harm. Mm -hmm. There is so much they could do to play with that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it carries out further than this. But in this scene, it works terrifically because not only are you running, Mm -hmm. but then, my God, you run and you get snared in a bear trap. Yeah. So you can't move. Yeah. You're literally stuck as prey for whatever ocular monster is coming to do, you know. And maimed too. Slash so now, you. now you have like a you have a leg injury when you're on foot the whole time. So they're essentially stationary here for for the given moment. Uh I want to ask you a question cuz I'll forget if I don't do it now. Go ahead. In that opening bit where Cillian Murphy is introduced at the baseball field. Yeah. Before John Krasinski arrives, mm-hmm. Do we maybe open on the baseball field and see 
some awkwardness between Silly and Murphy and Emily Blunt. I'm not trying to say that he flat out rolls up on her, but there is some, is that a bit of a miss because she has to come to rely on him here or once, I shouldn't say come to rely on him because she doesn't really, but actually she, she does sort of ask for his help, but it would make it interesting. That's for sure. Uh, that reminds me of the walking dead, uh, with, uh, early on when it was good <laughs> with, uh, John Bernthal and, uh, the wife, yeah. the, that kind of interesting love triangle. That's to me when the show is at its pinnacle. Like I, I love that part of the show. So it, you, you would get parts of that in there. So yeah, it might be a bit of a miss, but for a film that's 97 minutes, I don't know if we have time to kind of go down that route, unless it's something they're going to explore in a third final entry, which I hope this franchise doesn't overstay its welcome. Mm-hmm. But no, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Well, anyway, so back to story. So they find a little bit of safety in Cillian Murphy's cement hideout, but there's a big problem. Well, he's very adamant about you can't stay here. Number one, you can't stay here. Yeah. And number two, her son, Marcus, yeah. has a leg that's in no shape to be traveling mm-hmm. on foot or much less anywhere for months now. Infected. Probably infected, too. And probably broken, to be honest with you. That bear trap would snap that bone. Yeah, I can't imagine that. That's awful. Not broken, but he's in bad shape. Yeah. So they've got tonight to rest up, and then off they go because Cillian Murphy's character, um, Lee Emmett. Oh. (laughs) It's close. I think Lee's Krasinski's character's name. It is, you're right. Uh, just doesn't want to be burdened with having to be responsible for anyone. And you know, I kind of get that too. Well, a family, I mean, baby, two ki- uh, two other kids, uh, teenagers, and and then this like, not only are you going to deplete my resources, but how are we going to keep all of this? We're all going to die. But then, then the film turns into kind of divergent paths here, mm-hmm. which I think also works in, in, in this film. Like we get to follow two sides of it. So mom's going to stay behind and, take care of the baby and her maimed son, but she's got to go get resources. Again, it's that resource element, you know, oxygen for the baby, antibiotics for my son, and we return to that same pharmacy back in town. And then we follow Reagan, and who's who's like, I got to get, we got to do something with this. Again, against this is the part I was very curious about, and it's about she's taking dad's notes of kind of all the radio stations, right? The ones that were still broadcasting some sort of a signal and to kind of pinpoint that. So she's going to be on her path to, you know, go find that and then broadcast to whoever's listening. If anybody's listening, this is what we could use. This is how we could use it. And so then that becomes kind of the second part of the film. And uh, you just say Emmett tags along with her as protector, so, uh, so to speak. So there's a big he- moment. He- hesitant protector. You boy, yeah. Yeah. Through Emily Blunt's pleading, mm-hmm. essentially, to go find my daughter. Mm-hmm. There's a big moment that happens with Marcus's injury. Mm-hmm. And that is, as he's struggling under the pain, his sister puts on the earphones, namely to get him to shut up, but also to try to soothe him with something other than just the sounds of his own wailing that are have to be muffled because you can't just flat out scream. Mm-hmm. And as that happens, they just come upon a song um, by the sea, cross the sea, cross the bay, whatever the hell song that is. Yeah. And if there is a song that's being played, that means someone is broadcasting and maybe out there in the world Mm -hmm. 
is a civilization. Now, the same song keeps playing over and over, and we've come to know from Emmett's description that he has already heard it himself, but hasn't been able to deduce much from where it's coming, or maybe even venture into where it's coming from. We're not sure, but he's aware of it. Mm -hmm. Emmett seems pretty content to not track it down. Yeah. Which is weird because we're going to see that he's kind of harboring, I don't want to say a real dark secret, but kind of a... A, a loss. Well, he he sees things as hopeless already. So I guess he's just ready to hang it up in this cement industry factory joint and live out his days in quiet there with limited resources. I almost get that he's almost kind of given up a little bit. I do too. Mm-hmm. The question that I have though is Lee's family mm-hmm. hasn't given up. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't given up, then is Reagan's journey Mm -hmm. to the radio station to try to find other people or is it to try to find a speaker system that will allow her to weaponize that ocular piece to take down these aliens this is a big question yeah i think it's this i think it's the second one you think so you think she's ready to weaponize it i don't think they're yeah because because they have weaponized it we saw that Mm -hmm. in the basement and we Mm -hmm. saw it here outside of the the factory I hope that I bet they would like to find people, but I think the thing is we got, I, I want to find the, the signal so we can let more people kind of know about this. Uh, at least that's how I see it. Do you see it the other way? I don't know. Uh, it, it poses some interesting cause and effect questions. If they're just trying to find society, mm-hmm. like another civilization of people, yeah. that seems a little shallow and, naive mm-hmm. that society is just going to be overrun with monsters too because mm-hmm. they would have she doesn't understand that it's an island and we'll get to all that later so she doesn't know where that's coming from other than it's just coming from somewhere on the map and eventually they deduce it's from an island that's not too far away mm-hmm. man okay so that's a bit of a stretch for me the dad lee has this map and has been looking at it for some weeks or months or years or however long it's been prior to his demise and post the event. And he can't quite pinpoint this. And then she gets a signal from the radio and, oh yeah, maps, I know where it is. Okay, bit of a stretch, but we, we're moving along through the film, so I don't want to watch her grind through the map <laughs> decoding. That's boring. If it's just to get to a safer place, okay. I, I mean, that's a reasonable solution to the situation that they're in, which is isolation. Mm-hmm. If it's to get to a place that presents an amplification method that allows that ocular piece to be broadcast, thus taking down the aliens, mm-hmm. I like that more. Yeah. I hope that's what it is. I just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they both work. They, they, they s- both work. They so happen to find civilization along the way. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really do think it is, I have this thing, I can use it, uh, I can use it limitedly right now. I could use it more if I had a better way to do that. So that's what that feels like to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she goes on her path and we get some kind of interesting sequences here. And I, I, I do like the cross cutting back and forth because Emily Blunt's on her oxygen supplies journey, runs into the monument for the, for the sun that passed and... 
you 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 know something's gonna happen while she's gone. You know what I mean? Like we've left the the kid in charge of the baby, and they, they, I, th- I thought they did an interesting uh, kind of. They showed it three times. I counted this this silent tanker. I don't even know what that was used for. To sh- is that the like the smelting the, the like the molten canister? Mm-hmm. But it it doesn't open like if you, it, you'll get locked inside like it, it the latch will kind of close behind you so they have to have this like little kind of like interesting like towel to like keep it ajar and i was sitting there i was like they're getting locked in that thing you know what i mean like i was like they're getting locked almost like the nail sticking up in the first mm-hmm. one and i think krasinski's really good at that at foreshadowing and then really drawing it out for a long time like i don't think that paid off for at least another 40 minutes and when it does happen, it's like we're in like the thick of it, thick of it there. When they're running into, they got to get a boat to get to this island, this where this signal's broadcasting. And they run into these crust, crustacean people. <laughs> like, what the heck was going on with these? Like, they're like, all, they're all, they're, they're messed up. They're, they're long gone. Long, uh, gone. long gone. What are they hauling her off for? Uh-huh. A feast? Uh, maybe. Okay, so... At this port where these boats have been just left behind because all vehicles have pretty much been left behind, we find transport to the island to which the signal from the radio is being broadcast from. Okay, so these boats look pretty just deserted. Let's pick one and go. Except firing up the motor is going to alert these things. And we still are not sure about their capabilities in the water. We're going to come to learn that. And mostly from the people on the island. And that almost seems like a risk you just have to take. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you just got to like, we got to get in this boat and we just got to chance it. Speed away. Yeah. Okay. But as they get there, then they find the bait, which is just this little girl. (laughs) And... She kind of tricks them to a deeper position in the port. And this is what I thought was really harrowing is about the time Emmett tries to offer her, you know, some solace or a sanctuary. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Is about the time she puts something on his neck. And I thought it was a zip tie at first. Mm. I wish it was. Instead, it's some version of a noose, rope noosey thing. Like a net and like some cans and shit maybe that should have been weighted Mm -hmm. right so when you put someone in the water that and then because he is now rendered essentially useless that leaves the girl uh, reagan reagan wide open for the attacks of these dock dwelling crustacean crusty (laughs) i like that dock dwelling crustaceans (laughs) yeah cannibals or whatever the hell they are they, they were straight out of like hills have eyes like they did not look right right yeah um yeah, that's all working. And then what do you think when we do get this reveal of like this this weakness? You know what I mean? Like this is I think this is a pivotal moment and this was a thing that like made me perk up that was like a glimmer of hope, you know what I mean? Like there's they it's it's the sound and if you scramble their frequencies, you can really overwhelm them with their what's their strength, which is being able to hear these high frequencies. But then here, it's it's not that the water like melts them away. It's just that they, they just can't swim in the water. They don't they don't have that skill. And I think that's that works for me. That's so simple. You know what I mean? It's not like signs where they get water dumped on them and they start like withering away, decomposing. Yeah. And 
Yeah, so they just can't move any water with their limbs. Yeah, and I think, it, and to me, I instantly thought, I was like, well, if you can put your back against them, against a body of water, you have a chance. You've left that part of the world as uninhabitable, and you can start something else over here. So to me, the viewer decoding that is like, they got a shot. They just got to get there. But it's all it's all fucked up right now because you get a problem over here. You're separated from the family, and you know, you're know you're stuck here in the middle of the water. But it's a glimmer of hope, and I don't think we've had that shit since uh, maybe not in this entire franchise yet. So this this is this is hopeful for me. Let's go back to life. At, so yes, that's all working, and we're on our boat, and we've we defeat the crustacean dock dwelling cannibals. We are in the boat off to wherever the hell the radio signal is coming from. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, Marcus is back at the cement plant with the baby, mm-hmm. and a by the moment rapidly decreasing amount of oxygen for mm-hmm. the baby who has to be oxygenated when he is basically and hidden away in that his little, almost looks like a coffin doesn't it it's his little box <laughs> his yeah. little box his little box bed okay this is a struggle for me now marcus <clears throat> decides to leave the baby to just go out into the cement plant and just sort of see what's out there. I thought maybe it was to see if mom was coming, but here's something you have to be very careful with right now, Mm -hmm. just as a general concept with characters. If he screws things up and puts the baby in harm, you make him irredeemable, and he gets pretty goddamn close to that. Like I kind of am at this point with his little... I'm afraid of the baseball pitch and orange wedges, like about done with Marcus anyway. Yeah. He does. And we go on this journey through the cement factory and we come upon mm-hmm. what's I supposed to be a really big moment and the John Goodman moment reveal from 10 Cloverfield Lane Avenue, whatever the hell that is. Mm-hmm. And that is the decomposing corpse of Cillian Murphy's wife who's been spoken about several times, so this is not just out of the blue. Yeah. The question instantly is, why does he have her? Why hasn't she been disposed of? Why Mm -hmm. hasn't she been... Which tends to take us down that, man, maybe he's not who we thought he was. Yeah. No, he's who we thought he was. He's actually still just a good guy with just his decomposing wife corpse up there in some bed with like a canopy over it. We got to hope they answer that. You know what I mean? That's a big question. So, of course, Marcus freaks out, Mm -hmm. which then alerts the aliens, and he runs back into the containment unit to hide himself and his son, or his brother. I think it's a boy, right? Yeah. His brother from the aliens. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we're just getting to be, this is getting to be annoying now for me. Yeah. In we go to the furnace. The clasp falls. We're running out of oxygen. No one's around. You're stuck in there. We know where, like, I know where this is going. Oh, yeah. It's coming to the great. We're just, we're putting in, for me, yeah. I found these to be rather annoying tropes. And instead of, like, moving his character story forward, we've done not quite as bad as the Jamie Foxx as Electro build him and then hide him. But hey, Matt, nothing's worse than that. No, no, no you, it's fair. Nothing is in worse all than of that. movies. Wow, <laughs> big statement. Okay, so it's nowhere near that, yeah. but it's hearkening to a place of similarity for me. 
and I'm just starting to get annoyed. I'm already annoyed with him anyway. Now I'm just really getting annoyed with him. And I guess I'm a little bit annoyed with him too, but I, I kind of appreciate these almost as trial by fire because these kids, are, are they have to grow up really fast now that dad's not in the picture. And of course they're going to stumble across the way. You're going to slip up. You're going to make mistakes. But in the post-apocalyptic quiet place world, one mistake could be the end of you. And I do appreciate that, that they do put themselves in pretty dire circumstances and, you know, they might not come out of it. So I, I know what you mean. Like th these are tropes we've seen before, the kind of the stumbling, the, the screwing up here, the hesitation here. But I think they do need to happen. I think they still need to happen that way. They learn from that, they, that they react, they're reactive to those, to those things. Because if we lose mom, like what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do in that instance? And maybe, I don't say they should have killed Emily Blunt in this thing, but I almost feel like th this series might even go there. You know what I mean? Where they're truly kind of on their own. And it isn't that what happened in that bird box thing, which I remember very little of. Yeah. Oh, maybe she lived. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> this but, is salvageable for me if the reveal of Cillian Murphy's dead wife uh -huh. in the bed amounts to something more than just simply a jump scare. I think it, and I think it could. It's just he's not there to explain it, and and maybe that's a bit of an issue. It's a question that I, I do want answered. I actually forgot a little bit about you know him not being there when, with, with that reveal. So that's good. That's a big moment though. Right. Mm -hmm. um, do you kind so of, he, do you kind of wish he had a bit of a darker side? It seems to be set up to that. Emily Blunt asks him a question pretty early on in the film, which is when you saw Lee's fire, yeah. did you ever consider mm -hmm. coming to us? Like, was there any piece of you that wanted rescue or camaraderie or companionship mm -hmm. or a fealty to the goodness of man amongst neighbors? We were friends. You were his friend. Yeah. We buy off some of that because Emmett admits that he's tried hard to be Lee and he'll never be Lee. And this is why I asked you the question earlier as I thought about this. Yeah. If he tried hard to be Lee, and maybe it's because I also like the John Berthal role in The Walking Dead, it would make sense that he's trying to roll on his wife, mm -hmm. Lee's wife. Yeah. Um, what the hell's Emily Blunt's name in this? Evelyn? That's, I love that name. We're just making up names now. Go with Evelyn. <laughs> let's, I, let's name her Evelyn. That's great. If we can name a demon, Toby, is, we can high-five. Oh, man. Toast. Coffee. I just made that up. I'm Jesse just, just, just nailed, locked down Evelyn. I'm cold. Just, I'm just kidding. I do, I do know what you mean. I, I wish that there, there, there was... Uh, some room to kind of play around with there. So like the things that makes me think of mm -hmm. again, it's hard not to make comparison after comparison to the walking dead because this Island that they end up on is very similar to the hilltop and the body of Cillian Murphy's wife mm -hmm. that is <laughs> making Mrs. Bates look, you know, yeah. fairly healthy compared yeah. to the way this looks uh -huh. would seem to speak to an out of view or out of focus look at reality. And I can buy that mm -hmm. in anybody in this environment. Yeah. Every moment you're trying just not to die. Every moment you're struggling for what am I going to eat? What am I going to breathe? What am I going to say? How can I not make any noise? Like I get it. Mm -hmm. That kind of stress will break you. Yeah. If it breaks him to the point that he hasn't disposed of this body. Yeah. He's, he has a hard time letting go, even though he's kind of, 
really given up. And I understand that he misses her yeah. and he cares about her. I get all that. Yeah. There needs to be that darker side of Emmett that is foreshadowed or forecast or presented to us with his wife's body that, and you said maybe it's coming, but that's not in this film. Yeah, it's not. And this goes to one other point that I want to make. Mm -hmm. We've found a couple things that worked really well in the film and we're not making any new progress. The ocular piece is a very, very interesting weapon. That's mm -hmm. a really good piece in the first film. Yeah. The oxygen tank and the baby's coffin box mm -hmm. is very interesting. We are not making any progress away from new material. We're still stuck in those same, same two areas. Now I know it's a day later from the end of the first movie. Yeah. But the movie, and we're not moving forward with any new stuff. Yeah, it's just it's the natural next progression. It, it very it feels very procedural with with the television, and it mostly works for me. Because uh, what I told you on the phone, and maybe I'm just I'm just kind of villain. I'm in a weird space. Exhausted. I'm in a weird space with villains right now. Yeah, because <laughs> Warner Brothers did you in? Well, it was there's Cruella, Joker, this talking about Craven, mm -hmm. and I really got me thinking about this film and. Mm. the simplicity of it all. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, I was like, was it a mistake in this film to not introduce like a variant to the sound creatures, like a flying version or a mini one. And I said, no, at the end of the day, because I do appreciate the simplicity of this thing. And I've seen how awry this can go in the alien franchise and yeah. in other things. But it also got me thinking about villains because I was like, man, Hollywood must be in a weird funk because they really don't want us to, hate villains anymore. We got to feel bad for the Joker because he has mental illness. We got to feel bad for Cruella because her mom died. Mm. We got to feel bad for Craven because of something we haven't, you know what I mean? Like whatever happened to just having these things that are just inherently evil. Like when uh, Margaret Hamilton shows up in the wizard of Oz, you know, she's a bad bitch. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and when she shows up in the green makeup as the witch, like there's no trying to sugarcoat what that represents. Mm -hmm. And in here, I get the same thing. And it's, again, it's a little more one-dimensional because they can't interact with the the characters. But I think in a space where, man, I, I'm, I'm really troubled by just a lot of villains being presented to us. And maybe probably the last really good villain I saw was was Thanos uh, with uh, in Infinity War. Mm -hmm. And they almost ruined that in Endgame, honestly. Wow, we are getting into an interesting space then for you. Yeah. Think about the necessity of big villains going forward. And I'll give you two things that are close to your heart. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to see how this plays out. Yeah. What are we going to do in no time to die? Yeah. And what are we going to do with the next big bad? If we go that way in Marvel, because those are two franchises that are entirely dependent on the villain that has motive. And you are setting the bar high. If you are trying to, remove half of society for the betterment of the use of resources Thanos style like yeah. execution sucks but in theory he's right no absolutely and so I, we're in an interesting space man we are and I, I just or I, you are anyway I, I don't I just don't good material going forward here. I don't think we need whole movies to establish pathos for villains mm. if you I've been revisiting the Raimi Spider-Man films as of late mm -hmm. man they set up Doc Ock in two scenes yeah and then he's He's on his way. Like, you don't need a whole movie to set this up. And I think every movie doesn't need the Anakin Skywalker effect. We got to, like, take him down the dark path and then redeem him at, in the in the final scene of the, the final thing. Like, that that's bullshit to me. Like, I really do miss my villains of the 70s, 
my Hannibal Lecters. Like, I really miss my bad, bad people. You know what I mean? Hans Gruber, man. Like, you redeeming that guy? No way. Uh, so this was refreshing to me to kind of, especially last week, and then just kind of thinking about villainy. Because arguably, to, to me, the villains are almost always more interesting than the protagonists. With what you just said, then, maybe Cillian Murphy's Emmett character doesn't need mm-hmm. some breakdown or some character analysis that yeah. explains that. Yeah. Going back to what took us down this road, which was Marcus's discovery of that yeah, yeah, corpse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, this is all playing into mm-hmm. it. I'm glad we're doing this. Mm-hmm. If what you said is what you're struggling with, then that was probably a good directorial decision from Krasinski for Jesse's viewing of this film. Mm -hmm. Because if that's you or I, Mm -hmm. regardless of bear trap, wounded leg, or the inability to make any noise, otherwise you die. Mm -hmm. If we were just moving through a cement factory and came upon a bed and a veil, and in there was some corpse in some state of state of decay that would freak either of us out and in normal life that's a big deal i just i'm struggling with normal life because that that's a fair that's a fair statement that would freak me out yeah i would probably the hell is that doing in here see dead bodies time to go jesse right yeah but this is movie life yeah and maybe where i'm struggling with is consequence. You no, know, yeah, and I, I still see the, con- I mean, the consequence, you step on a twig and you're done, you're yeah. toast. Yeah. Uh, I just really like, and I think Krasinski's really good at this, and I think the rumor, I don't think he's going to direct part three, but I want to see him, and he's directed, if he did one or two movies before Quiet Place, indie films. I think he's a very efficient director. Oh, uh, yeah. I really love that this movie is 97 minutes, you know what I mean? Like, it's just so, mm-hmm. we move so quickly through it, uh, and he, it, I don't think he w- really wastes time uh, with with a lot of these scenes. Like we go from one thing to the next, and when the film ends, it's over. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just cuts to black, and I, I can really appreciate that. I think that's one of his strengths. Actually, is just his efficiency uh, in presenting like what he wants to tell. Uh, and, but you're right, though. I think a, a, one of the things at the end of the day, I don't think this was ever. I don't think most franchises aren't intended to be franchises until they make money. So you, and I think that's an admiral job for him to make the first one and just kind of put it all out there. And I think that's why that first one, you know, works so well. What I do like about this film is it's, it's more of that, but it's, it's the same feel. It's, it's the continue. It's the next part of the story. It's that's why I like is what's called part two and not just two. Cause to me, when you have the part moniker, one, two, three, you know what I mean? And then we wrap it up. So that's why it feels like a bigger story to me or like one big story. So I don't know if that really answers, you know, the, 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 those questions, but I just wanted to talk about, I do like some of the qualities he brings to the director's chair. Are you in a better place with this and the villainy in this, even the potential for the silly and, Cillian Murphy villainy Mm -hmm. when we compare it to the conjuring part two and Cruella. Cause I think you get three different versions of villainy in there. I think so. Yeah. You get this, which is animal villainy Mm -hmm. and that's just pure savage apex predator defeat those that might pose a threat to me. Mm -hmm. You don't need a whole lot of breakdown of the intellect. It's just go destroy. Mm -hmm. You get the Cruella villainy, which is I'm bad 
but here's how I got to bad, and I have to make you care about what happened by creating sympathy in my road to villainy. Worked for me better than it did oh, you. Oh, man, that's... And then you get the Conjuring 2, yeah. 3, and mostly none of that villainy worked. Yeah. Partly that was not the movie that you and I <laughs> thought it was going to be. Yeah. But that was demonic bullshit searching through a forest for some character that we don't well, care about. At the about. end of the day, it kind of didn't work in any of the movies. Maybe Bathsheba a little bit, but yeah. it was a bit of a miss for that entire franchise. So, so this does work for me. You're right. Simplicity. Absolutely. It's a simple kind of one-dimensional villain, but that's okay because that, that's what Alien is. It's, the Alien to me is, it, they're harvesters. You know what I mean? Like they don't, They're not going to take over the world. They just want to incubate the next one. As long as they don't have rational thought and thumbs. Yeah. Sounds like to me, you like that villain more right now. I do because what it becomes is the the reaction and the instincts of the main characters. And it's, that's in making them interesting. And I think they've done that here with this family. I mean, you already have one character. She can't, she can't hear. Mm-hmm. So she can't even hear when these things are coming, which puts her at an immediate disadvantage. Mm-hmm. But she's also the one that's, you know, kind of tapped into what works. So... To me, that's an interesting thing to play around with here. Oh, that ocular piece of hers is brilliant. It's really, it's really, it's really well done. Yeah. So you have the survival aspect, the re- dwindling resources. I, I really hope they don't go too far to that Walking Dead where the humanity's all. And maybe I'm glad that Silly Murphy isn't inherently bad because that's what that show did and totally turned me off. Everyone was the governor or Negan or whatever bullshit. And then you have, and then you have, yeah, your cosmic threat. So you you have plenty to deal with here. So you you don't have to have like over explain mm-hmm. what you're up against. The simplicity, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think this is a very simple story, and we we saw that in the prior entry too. I agree. Very simple story, and the ocular piece and the oxygen work really well for me yeah. the first time. Yeah. Okay, so let's get to the hilltop or wherever we are on the island. The island. Yeah. I thought that was pretty striking when they get there and everyone's like having a barbecue and dancing and it's really, they're really weirded out by that because what are you guys doing making noise? Mm -hmm. But they've seen the weakness firsthand. So they're like, maybe this is the place. Maybe this is the new start. Maybe this is where we can restart some sense of civilization. And for a brief shining moment, it, it, it looks that way. Like they're being treated with hospitality and, Jim and Hinsu is like the overseer of this land. And again, that light at the end of the tunnel, like I like that they're seeing shreds of what could be, but we have hurdles to get through until we get there. And I, I did really like that moment when silly Murphy's walk. And then he kind of sees one of the derelict boats and he's like, Oh shit. Like, like, like they, they like, they came here too. And you, you just kind of think the way kind of a threat works, an alien or a virus, like one of those things is here. And now like, this is ruined now unless unless we react now. So that's that that's what I like about it is they're they're really quick to react to what they need to do. That boat that they find mm-hmm. that's around the corner in the harbor. Yeah. It's so strange, but that's basically what happens is he walks around the corner. The tide brought it in, yeah. <laughs> Which boat do they arrive? I'm just gonna call it the hilltop because that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Which boat does Cillian Murphy and the the girl um, God, why can't I remember names? What the hell's her Reagan. name? Reagan. Jesus. I should remember that name. Yeah. What boat do, do Reagan and Emmett use to arrive not at? That, not that one. Yeah. We see that boat in the harbor, though. Mm-hmm. So 
did one of those crusty dock people get in that, or is this alien smart enough to drive this boat? Well, I don't think they drove it because I, 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 I doubt they would have the intellect to do that. I really just think that it like this this tide kind of brought it out there. But it was it was the one that was on the water yep. when we saw saw the threat there. Yeah, man. Okay. Um, they can't swim, and. The island is surrounded by water, so you're safe unless you give the alien a means to get there. Duh. Super simple. Yeah. There needs to be one of those crusty types on this island because just the happenstance that one of these ocular monsters climbed into this boat and just drifted to this place is a real big, big, big valley of disbelief that I can't jump over. You've got to give me some way to get there. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you even need to get them there because here's what the island presents later, and that's the explanation for the radio station. Mm -hmm. The island can offer, I think, what you've said really well, Mm -hmm. and that's the potential of a better life going forward. Mm -hmm. The question you might want to ask is, do you really want a whole lot of people... (laughs) to decode this island because there's enough resources here for about 60 of us and a lot of humanity has already gone to the dogs are you sure you want to introduce all of them here because well, who knows you, what we're coming see, in then it becomes walking dead okay yeah. it already is though yeah it are, i mean think about it we have digimon who whatever his name mm-hmm. like that's literally from the pages of the walking dead yeah. in the hilltop yeah. it's literally that yeah i mean the only thing that's not doing is he's not an actor yeah I don't want it to go too far that way. You know what I mean? Because the, oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, that's where I bail on in post-apocalyptic fare, just in general. But I, 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 I know, I know what you mean there. But we have to get some sort of threat there because something needs to happen on this island. We can't just like be wandering around here and we kind of get to the thing scot free. That's fairly unentertaining. Right, ninety-seven minutes, so we're we're moving quickly here. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, when the ocular monster has taken refuge in the boat, the speedboat that has showed up at the same island. I was in a pretty heavy state of come on how, and that's why I asked you early, do you think these aliens, they can fly a ship? So maybe I, I don't want them to be too smart. Cause uh, like, I don't, they don't need to communicate. <laughs> I don't care about all that. And I don't know if I want to see that either. Cause that, I know. That, that, that seems pretty ridiculous. Oh, well, <laughs> I guess it doesn't. It's, uh, I don't think it's too much of a deal breaker for me because I I do I do want something there so something happens because again it's that it's that glimmer of hope on the horizon and then again once one of these things is there I mean that door is shut unless you do something about it. How far mm-hmm. is this island from? the port that they leave crusty crustacean boatville from i wouldn't be able to tell you because it was that scene takes place at night and it was it was really hard to see but it could have been pretty far it could have been pretty close you know what i mean like i've seen little islands on the hilltop next to a dock and they're like they're like right there you just need a boat you, you it's too difficult to swim yes yeah it does travel at night and we don't know how long it takes if it's 20 minutes here's an issue for me. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. I don't want to trash this film because I'm not, it's not, it's not, I'm not trashing the film, but here's, here's another issue that mm-hmm. I have. 
if you have on this island a radio station, yeah, and I buy that. Like I would buy that there is a radio broadcasting station element on this island. Like I buy that, and I would also I also buy that the signal that the radio station has is fairly limited in range. Yeah. If it will go from island to the cement factory, which includes whatever amount of water we had to travel, Mm -hmm. but not carry to the walkable distance from Cillian Murphy's cement hideaway to Lee's house, Mm -hmm. we are really, for me now, starting to struggle with contrivances. There happens to be an ocular monster on the boat because we need a conflict on the island. You're right. We do. Mm -hmm. You get a couple of those, but if you're and this goes back to the other question that I asked you earlier, if you're going to go to the radio station to use the broadcasting capabilities to weaponize the ocular device, Uh the range of that radio station doesn't jive with that goal. It, it doesn't even get to their house. Well, it's not going to be a radio station to save humanity. It's just to save this this sliver. I mean, it's 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 a small goal to start out with. So, the, okay, yes, and then agreed. It, and then it has to spider web out to the other stations. So then, for me, if the clue was on across the sea or whatever song that is, and only good smart people can figure that out, and not bad smart people, mm-hmm. and you can only broadcast it to essentially the island and the harbor or neighboring communities in the harbor around it. You essentially are creating an auditory wall of safety around you. And you just keep that playing the whole time. Just keep it on that ocular noise, that white noise the whole time. By doing that, you're getting back to the question that I had earlier, which is when you get to the island, are you trying to create a safe place for humanity because you get everybody that shows up with no clearinghouse to see if they're good people or not. Mm -hmm. And you want people to come, which the clue of the song would seem to state. Yeah. And if not, and you just want to make a community that's got enough resources, farming and such and fishing, obviously Mm -hmm. to provide for 200 people. Now you have me. Mm -hmm. If you can give me now that, and maybe this is where the Cillian Murphy character comes in. Mm Mm-hmm is he says, I've been on the other side. I see what it's like there. You all have been over here having bonfires and dancing the night away. I've been out there with what humanity looks like. It's rough. Well, I think I, I always felt like, the, I felt like these people have also seen that too. Sure. Because they, you had to find this. You have to stumble across, across this, this, this idea. No. Is it a little too villagey at this point? No. You know, I, do, I just, do you kind of see where they're... Like, I do. I just don't want it to go, you know, the walking dead where every human is inherently like... Evil. Evil I'm and, with you. and out to screw this group and yeah. this people. Like, that's been done to death. To death. Like, it's nice to actually see good people <laughs> like doing something on this island, and they welcome them in. Like, I was really afraid that I was like, oh, man, they're going to just, like, put them back on the boat and tell them to go pound sand. Yeah. But they actually welcome them with open arms. And I'm willing to kind of buy, like, like there can be a tide here, because I don't know if we're by an ocean, like... Like it's 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 very nondescript where we're at. I think it's it's East Coast, like New York State area. So I can 
suspend enough disbelief to get the tide to get this this monster because that monster saw his buddy jump in the water and die so he's not about to do that so if i remember right i think there is one of those monsters on the boat behind Emmett in the water one of them goes in the water and one of them is on the boat yeah that's the one that gets to the island right yeah yeah right mm-hmm. okay so yeah. it's set up i'm not saying it's not set no, no, up. no i know i know i know it's it's, it's it's where do i choose to pick my battles these things are already coming from space you know what i mean and yeah and that type of plot contrivance it's 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 when it's when everything just the it's the oh god i can't believe we're talking about this movie again but it's it's the oscorp syndrome and amazing like just every everyone meets in that building and everyone knows everyone and harry osborne's like his, his best friend again you know what i mean everything just happens just like so late on a platter in that film that is so nauseating to me so i think where i'm at right now is the same place you are but in a different admission. Yeah. I'm I think way said- past zombie exhaustion. Yeah. I've had it with society is falling apart. And when stripped of all devices, mankind sucks. Mm-hmm. We've seen it a thousand times. I've had it up to here with it. Mm-hmm. It's every YA novel that's been written for the past decade. Yeah, you're right. And just about every science fiction monster film that's been done. Mm-hmm. So where I'm complaining about the oxygen tank and no new ground created there, and the ocular piece, and no new ground created there from the first film. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is by proxy, just because generally this idea for me well, a, yeah. is low on tread. Yeah, this this is a, it's a well well oiled genre yeah. at this point. Yeah, but yeah, we kind of get the final bit of the climax here. The monster. I don't even know if these things have a species name, but I appreciate that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like. How's a they sign- look great. That's a cool looking monster. It's a great looking monster. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one's got on the island. It runs amok. Everyone freaks out. But we got to get to the. Let's get to the radio station. Let's make this happen. And of course, so the like the things go wrong, and they're locked in the boiler room at the thing. And Emily, the, Emily Blunt, they need to get like the, like the medicine or some the shotgun or, or something. There's one in the room there with them. So. They're really backed up against the wall, literally backed up into the back of the whatever that uh I wish I knew what that was, that boiler chamber thing. Like I think it's I think it's the furnace. I think you're I, the smelting pot. I, th- I think it is, yeah. yeah. So that literally backed up against the wall. Yeah. Until we kind of get this moment and the sister prepped the brothers, like, if I get there, if I don't die, like be ready, because then you can use this. Like you can use this to gather and I hope they meet back up. Like I hope that that's the that's the other thing I'm curious about now going forward is like they got to reunite somehow. That's going to be problematic as as well. I think there's a lot that could happen there. Well, think about this. They've set that up really well if they choose to go it. If he goes away from where they are now, he's going to lose the range of the radio and the ocular protection wall that it provides through the broadcast. So you have to move to a place where the signal is getting stronger. Mm-hmm. You have to. He yeah. and his mother both have to do that. Yeah. So it's set like if you are protected 50 miles in, it doesn't make any sense to go 51, 52, 53. To, you, no, 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 you go closer. Yeah. And the environment in this regard is set up so that there is a bubble, if you will lo- allow me to use that term here, created that the more central they move to the source, the more protected they become. And the lack of aliens they will run into. Mm-hmm. 
So they've created a place where you kind of only have one red line of travel to go, and that's to where the hell it's safe. Mm -hmm. And you still have to use an auditory device. I mean, if you don't have a radio turned on, it won't it won't work. It's not like that noise is just out in the ethers, <laughs> in the airwaves. You got to use some sort of conduit to use. So if you can't find an ocular device, can you just play a lot of grunge music and all the white noise from there and that, use that? That might have worked too. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> See how I did that? Yes. All right. So I got to share with you here in this kind of final moments. Uh, this was my first film back to the movie theater uh, since Invisible Man. And I really, I really wanted to wait for something I was really looking forward to. And it, it was, I think it was this film because we'd been building up to it. The only thing that would have made it more kismet or cherry on top, if, if it was Bond, that would have been amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Th this moment here where she... And we got a nice fisty cuffs and run amok in the in the radio booth and Silly Murphy. I was all like, oh my god, like he's about to bite the bullet too. He's all getting all torn up and kind of did the good thing. You know what I mean? Like we kind of see his his good natured intentions after he was so rightly called out by Emily Blunt in that scene you referred to. Mm -hmm. And she gets there, gets on the radio, and is able to beckon this thing down, and they're able to to do away with that, but. The way this was kind of cross-cut between her and then the brother coming out with the radio to protect his family there, they played the same musical cue in that moment as when John Krasinski sacrificed himself in the first one, you know, when he, he primal screams and the monster comes so he can save his children. I thought it was a really great mirrored moment from that film into this one, and now you see the roles that the kids need to play, whether or not they will but they have to take some sort of mature, a, a large matural stride in this. And I don't know what it was, Matt. I don't know if it was the emotions of being back in the theater for a, an absence that I had never had since the first time I'd been to the theater, a year and a half. And the music and this, I got, I got kind of choked up in this scene. And it was pretty remark. It was pretty remarkable. It, it really made me, whether I'm curious to see what our ratings will be on this one, but this will this is going to be a kind of a, a special movie for me on kind of what it represents of getting back finally. And I really like parallels in movies, especially within their own franchises. I mean, Marvel's proved this time and time again with their cohesive universe to be able to call back to that. My favorite scene in the first movie when, Krasinski sacrifices himself and do it here in a different variation with the same musical cue. That was a great way to end the film. Like I, I, I really, I really dug it. And again, it might've been the exterior factors also playing into that, but I, I, I really dug this, this scene here. And I, and I love that it ended like a minute later. <laughs> it's over. It was it's, just cut to black. This story's done today. Cut to black. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you? What did you, what, what, did, what did you think of this? Yeah, I thought the ending was good. Um, I'm, in complete agreement with you on the pacing 97 minutes we're covering a pretty significant amount of story in 97 minutes so two krasinski yeah. and a coffee toast good job on handling that i'm glad you didn't make this two hours it mm -hmm. didn't need to be mm -hmm. uh no i think that for you specifically and me depending on the film the emotion that goes with it and mm -hmm. the feelings and all of the other stuff that is not exactly movie but related to the movie is part of it mm -hmm. there's certain things that with particular movies i will always hold and it will make that movie dear to me and yeah. and, it, and i think that's great if this is the one you came back for yeah bond would have been kismet yeah but if i'm not mistaken i think this was going to be the placeholder until we got to bond yeah 
right? It was. And we talked about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, Bond was the first to say, hey, we're moving. Right. And then every other movie after that. So, well, in some ways, the plight of this family and the struggle to return to some version of whatever they used to do paralleled. Because like this. us, yeah, that's, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, <laughs> we may do with Warner Brothers and classic cinema and other things. Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thankful for that. I am too. For all of the mostly monumental misses that that was. I too am the dreamstone. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thankful for that. So I hear where you're coming from. And you know what's also nice about it too? And I think I actually really do care about this family. I really want to see them. I, I don't want to see a film where they all die. And... And I think that's a suspension to think that they would go there because you totally sacrifice your audience. You know what I mean? Like now you go so David Lynchian with it that mm-hmm. there's like, it's a different movie at that point. I really do care about it. I, I, I want to see them, you know, get to the next day because it's already been a struggle getting from day one to day, what is this, day 1,700? Like it's been rough already. I mean, they've already lost one kid. I mean, they, it's hard enough to protect this one. They've lost their dad. I don't want to see anything more awful happen to to this fan. I want to see them get a win at the end of the day, and I think we do. I think this is this is a good moment for them collectively. Yeah, I'm with you. To that, mm-hmm. I think one of the underappreciated things in Hollywood talent-wise right now might be Emily Blunt. Mm. Not everything she does is great. She's got a few misses in there. That's more, I think, about cast than performance. Yeah. But even when she shows up in small roles, like let's say Dan in real life, well, she's really good in Devil Wears Prada as well. For all of the things that don't work in Benicio Del Toro's Wolfman, it's not her. I forgot she was in. <laughs> no, she's great. I've, she I, and Olivia Munn often, in my mind, take the same space. Mm-hmm. They fill the same role. Mm-hmm. They're not the same actresses. Oh, no way. But follow me. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, isn't Emily, or is it Olivia Munn, Cowboys versus Aliens? Who's that? That's Olivia Wilde. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Now, now we're getting all mixed up. Um, no, I've been a fan of her for a long time. She plays a, a really good mom mm-hmm. in this. Evelyn's a really good character. Really good. Yeah. One question, and then I have just a few questions, and we'll wrap this thing up. Quiet Place Part 3, it's probably going to happen. I mean, if this one's able to kind of make a significant strides box office-wise that we haven't seen since Invisible Man. Have you looked at the numbers yet? I do. It's like almost like at 200 worldwide. Like, it's, Would they make it for 30? Uh, I think 40. Yeah. A little bit more than, than the last one. Cha-ching. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it was, it was the hit that to kind of reaffirm we're, we're, we're back now. I think a part three will happen. What do you want out of that? And is that, place three? Is that the last one you want? Cause I think I need one more of these and then I think I'm good. Um, I'm pretty good now, but if they want to do another one, we've got to decide whether we want to carve out a place in this alien infested world that's comfortable for 200 of us, or are we going to go the full route of reclaiming society and take on the whole race? No, 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 no. Yeah, I don't want that. (laughs) It's got to be one, like with a a conscious acknowledgement of one or the other. Yeah. You can't just sort of exist in this nebulous, which works in this because it's so close in proximity to when one ended. But if we go forward to the third, they either need to reclaim the earth mm-hmm. or they need to carve out a place on the earth. They can reclaim the earth, but do that behind the scenes. I want to see the left side of what you just said. And I want to see them get back together and maybe a teensy bit of an explanation on where these things came from or some kooky scientist played by Tim Robbins to kind of do a scientist type of thing. But 
I think, I, and then I think I'm good. You know what I mean? I think this one left enough to like, I want to see what happens next, but I think we need one more. And then I think the franchise needs to go out at that level now. Okay. Don't make seven of these movies. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go down the Friday the 13th route. Mm. What was your favorite tasting note of Quiet Place Part 2? Part 2. <laughs> I think the effects of the ocular monster when it is in a state of hyper-alerted ocular discomfort through the white noise is really cool looking. Mm-hmm. When the gills of the monster yeah. open up and you get a look. It looks like a big ear. It looks good. With the canals and the crevices and just the coloring, it looks like the inner workings of an ear. So you actually for all of the things, I like just looking at the monster's yeah. underpinnings, I guess you could say. Do you think they showed them too much in this film? No. Yeah, I didn't think so either. I, I was worried that they would kind of do the aliens route and just kind of overdo it. But mm-hmm. they, again, they don't overdo it in aliens. This movie's great. Uh, but they, they didn't, I didn't feel overwhelmed by their presence. Yeah. And they move so quickly that in when they are on screen, they're not there for very long. You know what they remind me of? They remind me of like a, like a burnt end, uh, like a piece of barbecue. And like they're the, that's the smoke ring is like their shell. Cause mm. when they open up, it looks like a piece of meat. <laughs> nice. Good. <laughs> Maybe I'm just hungry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. mine's the end. I, I stated why I really like that scene. It's, uh, I think th- this movie is whether, you know, it's kind of maybe probably on par with me with, with, with the first one, but th- this is a pretty important movie for me. Cause this was, again, this was the first time getting back into the theater and those cinematic moments that you thrive. Like when things are for me firing on all cylinders, it's the way it's shot. It's mostly the music is what brings it all together for me at the performances. And I thought that was a moment that where it just, it just all, came together and it was just, I, I was like, you couldn't have done it better in that, in that instance than they did it in that scene. Okay. What's the oh my God! moment of this film? I think we both Bear have trap? the same one. Oh yeah. man. That was, I thought, I, I like when things come are so unexpected like that, like unexpected injuries are always so wincing in film. Mm-hmm. And that was a good one. Like that was a great, a great moment. Yeah. And just something about the, the the way a bear trap is used. I mean, it's already so like barbaric in its in its uh purpose. But on a human, oh my goodness. Yeah. Rough. Yeah, there's there's a few bear trap scenes I've seen in movies that are there's a there's I don't even know people there's a great horror comedy called Severance about a company going on a work retreat and they're being hunted by a serial killer. And there's a bear trap scene in that and they're trying to get it off the guy and they like lose their grip and it like reclamps back on him. And <laughs> it's gruesome, but it because of the way it's presented, you do what you just did. You just kind of like almost chuckle at the craziness of it all. Mm-hmm. Who's the master distiller on Quiet Place Part 2? It's Krasinski. Uh, I think he wrote and directed this. Mm-hmm. It's tough to create a story out of what was going to just be a singular one-off. And I think it's handled mostly pretty well for the playing field that he left for himself. Yeah. As much as I might hedge my bets on that, what I won't hedge my bets on is the efficiency of storytelling. Mm -hmm. 97 minutes is remarkable at a time when everything feels like it needs to be two hours for some stake of validity in the market. Yeah. So good job telling us a quick story that's mostly thorough. Mostly, Mostly a complete story. Yeah. I gotta give it to uh, he's great. I like I wanna see him. I wanna see him make more movies. Maybe different genres, just kind of see what he's got. Like I'm I'm anxious to see that. He's gotta be Reed Richards, doesn't he? 
Well, yeah, has to be. Has to be. I don't think he'll be because they already got a director and I think a writer for that. But yeah, get him in that thing. Like, and make that make get Emily Blunt in their movie too. Like, oh, just yeah. get the two of them. Good. Uh, I got to give it to the two kids, uh, Millicent Simmons and Noah. I mean, I've talked a lot about child actors on this podcast and then they can like really derail your film. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the issues you had, I think, were less acting and more like the story arc of them, like the presentation of the reactions. Yeah. I was really surprised in this film that once Emily Blunt goes on her oxygen medicine quest, she's kind of absent from the movie a lot. And a lot of it rested on the shoulders, I think, of those two kids in particular. And I thought I thought they did really good. It, I never did, did I say, geez, these child actors are really wrecking this movie for me. And I've said that about other films before. So that's good. That's good casting. You know what I mean? That's keeping the band back together and, you know, seeing them mature as actors as well. So I, I have to give it to them because that, that's rare. That's, you don't get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, you're right. How are you going to rate and grade Quiet Place Part 2? We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. It was Call. It was entertaining. It's not perfect. It's far from perfect. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting perfection. Um, there's a couple things that we pointed or that I pointed out that took me out of the movie a little bit. Mm-hmm. The... The boat I didn't buy. The range of the uh, radio signal was troubling to me. Uh, the goals of what the family were to the larger context were a bit of a miss. Mm-hmm. Um, Cillian Murphy, it's called. Cool. But all that being said, I was still entertained. Mm-hmm. And there's still that which is equally important. Yeah, I still want to go and be entertained. And I mostly was. Yeah, so go, it's called. Kind of go for a ride. Like yeah. it's a, like an, uh, a suspense ride. That's another thing I think Krasinski's good at is kind of putting suspense in there. Like it, it was less like jump scares and more like ticking time elements that I think work really well for me. Like that getting locked in the boiler smelting chamber furnace. Uh, I thought that worked pretty good for me. Yeah, I'll, I'm, I'll probably like a little higher, probably about a call plus. Uh, I really like this this world, you know what I mean? And I, uh, as I told you on the phone, I really like that they're not over-explaining the, everything that's going on. The species name of this alien, the where it came from, from the LV-42, you know what I mean? It's, again, simplicity, I think, has been the key with this franchise but and this injury. Uh, yeah, I, I have some some a few qualms here or there, but I really like that opening. The only thing that would have made that opening better is if Krasinski found a way to do the whole thing in one continuous shot, but that's ambitious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I really liked how it, how it wrapped up. I'm on board for another one. Like I, It left me wanting, I, I need at least one more to wrap this up, whereas if it was a poor quality film, I'd be like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> You're probably going to get it. Yeah, I think we'll get it. But that'll be interesting. I mean, we saw what happened when once James Wan bailed from the director's chair. I mean, now you're dealing with different creative talent with the same properties. So it doesn't always equal success. I think John Krasinski is also really close. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a same but different way where maybe Emily Blunt has been overlooked. Mm-hmm. I think John Krasinski maybe hasn't been overlooked, but has been undervalued. I think John Krasinski is sneaky, like low-key, really smart, and has a really good grasp of storytelling. If you take, and I didn't love The Office, but if you take his character in The Office and look at that sort of dry sense of humor to Mm -hmm. what he's done with the Jack Ryan character Mm -hmm. to this, he's got a lot of talent that I think is just waiting for 
that moment. I think he and Bradley Cooper are about ready to have a like really big decade, mm-hmm. the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. Bradley Cooper's already there, but I think they're both about to really, really take a In terms big, of like directing? like because I think their fingerprints are going to be all over the next 10 years in Hollywood. Okay, excellent. I've been a fan of Krasinski. I'm a huge Office fan. Yeah. So since that first season, I was always like, man, I love this character. I want to see him in more things. So yeah, this is, yeah, I'm curious to see where that goes. Excellent. Well, cheers. Cheers, cheers. to that. Cheers to your rating. Cheers to your rating. I'll drink to your leg. <laughs> I'll drink to your leg. Let's drink to our legs. All righty. Let's wrap this up like we usually do. Let's wrap this up with our nightcap. So we're going to set it in the world of A Quiet Place and playing on the idea of limited resources. I'm going to give you a very limited selection of resources, my friend. Okay. You get a backpack. Okay. And you can put three things in there. What three things do you want to put in that backpack to give you a fighting chance in the world of A Quiet Place? Are you one, one, two, two, three, three? Uh, well, I'm just going to. I'm just going to. three? Yeah, I'll just do them all. Okay. Uh, I think what's been undervalued, and they alluded to this a little bit in the first film when they were dancing uh, in the basement. I couldn't be this quiet in real life. You know what I mean? Like I would need music. So my first device is maybe more for my mental sanity. I need like a solar charged iPod that just has all of my favorite music on there. Cause I need something. I can't just be in silence for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And music's pretty important to me, not only from a playing perspective, but a listening perspective as well. So I need that. And then I could just, I could, I could fight these cre- creations while I'm listening to like Rush. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good. Oh, the next one. Uh, I can't be barefoot. I don't want my feet getting out like that, but I need to be stealthy. So I need a pair of boxing, uh, boxing shoes in, in here. So like, or wrestling shoes. So I can like Good side, choice. sidle in and out and then get me some weapon. Uh, if, I don't know if it'll fit in the backpack, but I, I, I'm not a gun cause I'll be, that'll kill me. I want like a sharp instrument. So maybe give me McLeod from Highlander. <laughs> and then uh, I think that's about, I think that's about all I need. Good choices. I'll find food along the way, but I need music. I need to be, I need shoes. And then I need a weapon and it can't be a gun. <laughs> Good. All right. I'm going to go with a brick of firecrackers. Okay. That way I can distract and change the perceptions of where I am should I need to. So this is why you need to play uh, Last of Us because part of that game is creating distractions and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. A lighter. And I actually do want a gun. Okay. If it comes down to the point to where I need a gun and I need a weapon, I need the range on that. Yeah. Um, I know what it brings into play. But most of the time when the weapons are used in this film, it's when the alien is already in a state of stress Mm -hmm. with the sound. Um, So, yeah, I actually want a gun. And I think Reagan did kill that one with a blunt instrument. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I just worry about the guns. I mean, you'll... Oh, yeah. No, there's definitely sound for sure. And you'll run out of bullets eventually. Or you'd be constantly having to, you know, look for ammo. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is a lot of fun to, you know, get back into 2021 uh, groove and we'll have a lot more new releases throughout the rest of the year that we'll cover. Um, But we got another big one up on the horizon here in July. I already prefaced it in my uh, flight question. We got Black Widow coming out here Mm -hmm. in a couple weeks. So 
think you and I are going to spend a little bit of time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Let's call this cask almost like a league pick'em in fantasy football. Mm -hmm. Let's call this Marvel pick'em. So what we're going to do, I'm going to pick one one week. You're going to pick one the next week, and then we'll do Black Widow in agreement. (laughs) In agreement. Uh, Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Go first. You can go first. Okay. So next week, next week's film, diving into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Matt, I thought about, you know, intentionally doing something atrocious. Just I thought about Iron Man 3 just so we could go down that <laughs> yeah. horrendous road. But I want to talk I want to talk about where it all started. And I want to talk about just how we even got here mm. and the state of Marvel pre Starter Universe. We're going to do Iron Man 1. Yeah. Good. The very first one. Robert Downey Jr., Jeff Bridges, Terrence Howard. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so before, so we, we got to, we'll talk about the state of Marvel because you could talk about how like, you know, Marvel was bankrupt and like yeah. how they just sold all of their properties to other studios. And I'll give you the list of who they had when they start, when Feige started this venture with Avi Arad to make their own movies through their own studio because they didn't have a lot. Nope. Uh, and the one they chose with is not an obvious choice, but arguably it's, it's the house that Robert Downey Jr. Built. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We could talk about him too in his state at, at the time, because he was on the up. I rewatched Zodiac too. And you can kind of see he's like really finding his groove mm-hmm. again, but almost un castable castable at that mm-hmm. point. Like he was like, so down strung out. And man, he just he makes the whole thing tick for me. So good. When's the last time you saw that one? Mm, been, been a while. It's been a while. Uh, it'll be good. Come over, we'll watch. Uh, okay. And then I'm curious to see what you're gonna pick. You have uh, 23 ish films to pick from. So we'll spend some time with Marvel. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun. That's good. And it's very summer appropriate, <laughs> right? But until then, thank you very much, everybody. Hit us up on Facebook or Instagram at RiseSmileProductions at gmail.com. Hit up patreon.com slash Films. Matt and I are going to be uh, digging into some dazed and confused this week. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, until then, uh, I got to get going. Uh, I'm going to go prep up some barbecue because I want burnt ends now. And I'm going to I'll name them. These creatures don't have a name, so I'm going to name them something. And then that's what the creatures will be called. You better do it quietly. I will. Shh. Hopefully the girl's quiet. But we'll see you all next time. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash Films for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. A Quiet Place Part 2 is property of Platinum Dunes, Sunday Night Productions, and Paramount Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers.